Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and welcome to Master Leadership Through Crisis series, where we will connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important questions to help us navigate through rough waters. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Alan Willett believes that we have obligations as leaders that are higher than any others. To use our projects to build not just products, but ourselves. To ensure that those we lead have the opportunity to be successful and to do good in the world. Our interview will continue after messages from our sponsors. Michelle Ashby, CEO of ACE LLC, is a fearless, committed champion for the betterment of women. Michelle has a goal to prepare a thousand women to sit on corporate paying boards. To date, over 500 women have attended an ACE board training program, and of those women, there are 91 ACE board graduates with board certification by Corporate Directors International, 46 corporate board appointments, 5 CEO appointments, and 2 new companies launched. Find out more at www.acellc.consulting.com. And take your free board assessment quiz now to see if you are a possible board candidate. Link to assessment is in the show notes. Welcome, Alan Willett. How are you? I'm terrific. Thank you for asking. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're so happy to have you on our podcast. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am. Fantastic. Now, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? First off, I'll say I grew up on a dairy farm where other farms were failing and my farm was always doing great. And later on, my dad taught me, you know, that you always, you know your data, you know your work when the sun is shining, you fix equipment when it's raining, and you get things done. So he was considered a lucky farmer by many of the other farmers around him. So you're Um, a get things done kind of guy. Yes, get things done, but it's with rational management. Mm -hmm. So you see what startled me was when I went into the high tech world. So I know you went in the uh, education journey, and believe it or not, there's similarities between farmers, education, and uh, high tech. And in the high tech world, I was startled to find out that we used more data on the farm than they did in the high tech world to run their projects. So my leadership journey was to start to apply the things I learned on the farm in high tech, which was how to use data to know what's going on, to where to invest your best things. And I don't mean just products, but is a product doing well? Is the process working? Where are we spending most of our time? Is it fixing broke things or creating new things? If you had a tractor, you know, that was broke most of the time, you probably want to consider whether you want to be wasting your time fixing it all the time or find out what the real problem is. So I started to do those things in high tech, and that soon led me into leadership. Within a year, I was leading 20 people. I said, hey, I would like to write some code. They said, as soon as you fix all the people problems, you can write some code. 
so I'm still waiting. I'm still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, fixing those people problems takes longer than we think, right? Absolutely. In fact, I wrote two books about this. So Tell us about it. One book is Lead with Speed. It's an exciting book. It's about everybody's under pressure for high speed. And a lot of people think uh, going faster means working longer hours, sweating more. And that's not the case. People need to be able to work on the engine of the car. If you ever watch races, they have to go into the pit stop periodically. Right. That takes time. And in between races, they work on the car all the time. Most organizations are just putting the pedal to the metal, and they're not bothering to understand when to shift gears. They're not investing in how to make their processes faster, how to make their people faster, and they're not measuring to know if they are. So Lead with Speed is about how do you know speed to where? It's about how do you have the data to know if you're going faster? It's about all the tricks and techniques you can use to actually work on making your organization faster to achieve the objectives you want. And it's not about more sweat, it's about better results. Fantastic, now where can we get your book and how can we connect with you? You can connect with me at alanwillett.com, A-L-A-N-W-I-L-L, ett.com and on there you'll find my book you'll find an offer for my great t-shirt that goes along with the book oh awesome <laughs> a lot of fun and my other books too leading me unleadable and some other goodies that are for free oh so, fantastic well, go there have fun with it i look forward to hearing from people interesting you've been a farmer and people make a lot of analogies i mean really good leaders in my opinion connect leading well with harvesting and planting and farming. Yes. Has that influenced your leadership? Oh, absolutely. I've written a few articles about this, that there's a lot of language that came from farming that exists in the workplace. Rainmaking. Rainmaking came when there was droughts on farms, people actually hired rainmakers to try to get it mm -hmm. to rain. Rainmaking in organizations, of course, is drumming up more sales. Sometimes uh, people say we have to make hay while well, the sun is shining. People don't know that that, of course, came from the farm because you have to put the hay in while the sun is shining. You can't put wet hay in the barn. And also, you have to plant some seeds. You have to till the land to be able to get the harvest. So you absolutely have to invest in your people. You have to invest in your process. You have to invest in making the organization better if you want to harvest the great fruits. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Now, at the time of this interview, we're hopefully on the tail end of a coronavirus and a different virus that we're seeing in the U.S., um, the virus of racism. So currently, how has this affected you, your organization, your family? Complex question. Okay, my family and I, we're already close. We've just gotten closer. So I usually, mm -hmm. pre-virus, I would be on the road two weeks every month on average. Mm -hmm. I haven't traveled for three months. So that's odd. Yeah. My whole family, all five of us are here in the house. My kids are older, but they're here working mm -hmm. from here. And we're all really close. And that's awesome. Uh, we have a lot of compassion for what's going on. And so we're doing a lot more outreach and charity kind of things than we've ever done before, which is enriching mm -hmm. and hard because it really is a difficult time for mm -hmm. so many people. Uh, my high-tech work has so far been immune because I get to do like here, the teleconferences, et cetera. The racism one is really troublesome. Uh, we adopted our children. And so we got to 
see what our white umbrella does and when they're not under it, how it's different for them. So one of the things I'm working on is how to reach out to like the uh, National Society for Black Engineers and see if some of my offerings can go with the work they're doing. So it really is hopefully a time of enlightenment. As leaders, one of the top characteristics of really good leaders is listening, right? It's listening to those around us and seeing how we can add value or how we can start to learn and see ourselves, right? Because we have to lead ourselves first. So I really appreciate your insights, your perspective and what you're doing. I've adopted too, so um, huh. yeah. Not as many as you. <laughs> I just have one. <laughs> I have one little boy. He's a big boy now. He's a young man. But thank Delightful. you. All right. So, Alan, which quotes or what advice has helped you most during crisis? Well, you know, there's a quote by Desmond Tutu that I've looked at a few times in the last bit. A time of crisis is not just a time of anxiety and worry. It gives a chance, an opportunity to choose well or to choose badly. The time of crisis is an opportunity to choose well or choose badly. Mm -hmm. And in China, the uh, symbol for crisis is one of danger and opportunity laid on top of each other. Mm -hmm. So really, how does that inform us? For example, you know, I had a lot of in-person events scheduled with my clients. Right. And they were looking to completely delay them. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, we're not delaying because we don't know how long they'll be delayed. Little did I know that I was very right. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be a couple months, not likely to be a year in some of these organizations. So I actually said, well, let's just pivot and make it into a telepresence series. And really when we did that, there was a lot of learning that happened was very positive. We were able to do some things that we hadn't done before that was actually really good outreach, more in-person connections, even though they weren't physically in-person more direct contact with some of the people we needed to work with. We stay very focused on the purpose. It's just our strategy changed. And mm -hmm. we've learned a lot from that. So I really believe once we do in-person things again, many of the things that we learned from this will be applicable as an augmentation to how we were doing things before. Right. Or maybe it may shift enough where meeting in person is an augmentation to the teleconferencing or the Zoom events, right? Because people are getting so used to Zoom and there's so many advantages of Zoom, but I believe we also need to connect physically. That pat on the back, that hug, we need that. There's more than that. Hey leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Most of us sit and we sit a lot, eight to 10 hours each day. Unfortunately, we're not designed to sit. The result of this mismatch between our hunter-gatherer bodies and our sedentary, chair-centric society is an epidemic of poor posture, weakened core muscles, and back pain. Worse, sitting passively slumped all day leads to increased rates of diabetes, heart disease, even cancer. Sitting eight hours per day robs the average person of two years of life. Luckily, it turned out that sitting isn't the real problem. The real culprit is sitting still. And while we can't get away from sitting, we can get away from sitting still. Dr. Turner Osler created a new type of chair that revolutionizes sitting by promoting movement while sitting. Purchase this chair at QOR360.com 
and begin your journey of active sitting. They say women hold up half the sky. As this bracing book points out, we do it while also cooking, working, starting revolutions, and getting that weird goop off the couch. If you're ready to create real change in the world, you're going to need a little oomph. Consider this book your triple espresso. Actually, I Can, Inspiration, Empowerment, and Leadership by Dr. Lori Kerner. You know, I know that a lot of people, a lot of organizations I'm working with are thinking they're going to stick with telepresence for the future. I think maybe the way you said it is good. They will need to augment it with in-person. One of the things I did when I was working for a company is I was managing a team on the West Coast when I was living on the East Coast. By the way, this was back in the uh, 90s, but we had the best teleconference equipment, better than today, because it was high def, high bandwidth. It was amazing. And the uh, leader out there and I would blow up this huge screen so we could actually see the pupils of our eyes. Nice. (laughs) And we met daily. But we found that when I was not there across six weeks, the communication fidelity fell off. Mm. There was too much noise. California is a different culture than New York, you might be aware. (laughs) And so what we found is I had to travel out there every six weeks. And we would solve problems in our first two hours together that we were struggling with the previous two weeks, spending hours of teleconference time. So there's something inherent about being in a hallway together, having lunch together, doing those other things that we have to work too hard on with Zoom. I'm really working with people on ways to actually walk the hallways with Mm -hmm. Zoom, how Mm -hmm. to have tea with people on Zoom. Um, Glass of wine. But it really won't replace. (laughs) Yes, yes. There are people that are doing the the wine breaks. Wine Mm -hmm. and cheese. Wine and cheese. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. They're working on presenting via holograms. How cool is that? Very Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah. Next time we talk, maybe we'll be talking about that. So that's cool. Now, Alan, many use the term lifelong learner. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning right now? We humans, probably mammals in general, are learning machines. I remember the story of my son took Suzuki violin and the person that created Suzuki violin, Dr. Suzuki, was one time struggling to how to teach people better on violin. He was walking through a district in Japan and he was noticing the young children there were talking one of the most extremely difficult dialects of Japanese in the country. And he said, how do they learn that? And he realized they learned it through immersion. And we are just learning machines, all of us. So you're in education, we're constantly on how to better educate people. But as you know, as a teacher, learning really comes from within. It's often creating the right space and the right opportunity to keep the learning going. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning constantly by doing brilliantly difficult problems with my clients because I constantly learn that I'm a little bit smarter than I was two weeks ago because of that kind of work. Mm. One of the things I'm doing now is called the exceptional engineer. It's about how to differentiate the good from the exceptional. And I'm learning over and over again, there is an extraordinary difference between those two things. Good engineers work hard. If there's a problem, they're going to go fix the problem and they're going to put as many hours in as possible. And they're probably going to be nice about it. That's good. I appreciate good engineers, 
The exceptional engineer does more than that. They try to find out what caused it in the first place. Why did that problem get into the system? They inspect the rest of the system to see if there's other aspects like that. And they mentor other people along the way to make sure other people are growing and learning from that. So I'm learning a ton just from working with a lot of engineers about how to create environments to create more exceptional engineers. It's just delightful. We are learning machines and we just got to give people the right culture, atmosphere, et cetera, to be able to rise up and excel. And ignite that in them, right, as leaders. Ignite it in them. You might be able to motivate people, but the best thing you can do is give the flames for the thing that's already there to help it grow, Mm -hmm. to give them the mindset. Like engineers often treat management like when they say something that they can be treated like the enemy or like dictators, et cetera. And what managers really mean when they want it really badly and they need it really soon, what I'm teaching the engineers to do is to translate that and to realize they're just people like you. It means they need it in a hurry, but they also need it to be good, solid work. And they don't want you to lie about the date. They want to know what the date really is. So the expectations, right? The engineer should set solid expectations. What I like to say is see reality, accept reality, and then help management deal with reality. If you want to do a home redesign, remodel of a room, you get the idea. When do you want it done? Now? Do you want your house disrupted? No. You want to be like, you know, one of the witches in the movies where you can just wiggle your nose and Mm -hmm. pop, the room Mm -hmm. is done. So engineering is very much a reality-based world. Mm -hmm. So I want the exceptional engineer to be able to do that in a way where they say no to the manager and the manager says thank you. I grew up an engineer. And I've now been in the world of leadership and consulting for the last 20 plus years. And I still put most of my work in the world of high tech. I drift out in other places, by the way. I love the high tech, high pressure, so much at stake. (laughs) I love safety critical systems. I love cyber secure systems. But I also do things like I worked with an organization called Primitive Pursuits, Mm -hmm. which is about getting kids like three years old up to teenagers out in the wilderness to learn survival skills and to learn what it means to live in the world and how important the world is to informing us. And I worked for that organization. (laughs) That was so different from high tech. Right. And you're very diverse and you do not look stressed out at all. Typically my vision of engineers are extremely bright and sometimes even a little stressed out. Oh, they usually are. That's why I'm doing the exceptional engineer experience. That's why I put together this program is because they really need to take their circle of control. They have to get better at that. I mean, you certainly exemplify what you teach. You know, I mean, that combination of being a farmer and you're having to have patience, right? And harvesting and pulling all that together. It's just a wonderful thing how you're able to merge all of your experience. So, Alan... When you think of leadership today, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? Leadership today, wow, things are complicated. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that? A little bit, a little bit, yeah. (laughs) But really, you know, from a business perspective, the global competition is amazing. It really is just so interconnected. And there's the complications we have as we're seeing, racism has been there forever. It seems like the light is shining more strongly on it 
than ever right now. Is this an opportunity or is it going to crush some people, some companies, some places? The COVID virus ups the complexity of how to survive. How many people unemployed is just saddening. How many people have died has been saddening. Very complicated, both from uh, running businesses, from a competitive landscape, the pressure on speed, and the complexity of the world. What gives me hope? Uh, well, frankly, uh, people like you, people like me, because I find there is so many good people out there that are able to be calm and be able to recognize the patterns and provide some simple, easy to use guidance that helps get people on a path that will lead to solutions and will lead to making the world a better place. Mm -hmm. So that gives me hope. I think there's a lot of us out there and we're working the right way with the right people to make those differences. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some exceptions. I don't wanna get into politics, but the politics is hard. The divisiveness is hard. I really believe that's been true before and there's other forces always at play that are leading the world forward to make it a better place. Thank you so much. Now, Greg Ward wants to know, what are you actually doing to be a positive change in the world? How are you walking the talk? You know what you told me before, earlier in the talk, that I make you feel calmer. Many clients have told me that. So I actually, end my newsletter that I do weekly with this phrase, yours in the calm pursuit of excellence. Um, I'm walking it and I teach it mm -hmm. because when people are really stressed out about things, what I like to do is take them through the uh, three-step process of enlightenment. I mentioned it before, but let me go a little deeper. Here's sure. the three steps. When you're in a difficult situation, you need to do your best possible work to see reality. And that's really hard. You could find out that you're so behind schedule that it's not recoverable. Then you have to accept reality. And that's really hard because it means you have to accept all the grief, et cetera, with the problem that you just stared in the face. You understood the causes better. Now you accepted it. And accepting is really hard. And the main reason that's really hard is because once you accept it, you have to do the most difficult thing of all, deal with it. But once people go through this process, they do become much calmer because they move from worry to facts to understanding the constraints and limitations they're working on, now have made a plan to make the situation better, even if it's not going to be ideal. Thank you so much for that. Now, as a listener of this podcast, Alan, what is a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to? I had fun thinking about this. What are three things you are doing to make the world a better place? That's a great question. All right. So, Alan, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Just as a final note, I've learned from clients all around the world, there's a great diversity of backgrounds, of skills, of questions, of views, of how they grew up, and all these things inform their system of belief. I also learned there's a universal desire truly, to make the world a better place. I think there are exceptions to that that I've come across, but almost everybody is really intending to do good. So I really listen to people, believe them, and work together to make the world a better place. Let's do good in the world. 
Alan, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. You're welcome. Thank you for your presence. Have a great day. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.